Am I on? Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Uh, I want to welcome you all too. Mike welcomed you. I want to welcome you as well. Please tell me that's not getting ready to happen. We preached two weeks ago in the dark. I don't want to preach in the dark. Um, but again, I want to welcome you all here. And if you're watching online, you know, I'm glad that you're here. And God has, uh, has all of us here for, uh, for a purpose. It's not an accident that we're all here today. He's got you here because I think he has something, uh, something to say today, something to speak, particularly to men today. Uh, but here's what I want to do. I want to tell you a, a quick story. And it's a story about uh, a guy named Larry Waters and his wife, Chrissy. They were fishing, ice fishing, up, or getting ready to ice fish up in Minnesota, some lake in Minnesota that was frozen. They're on their four-wheeler. They're humming across the, uh, across the frozen lake. They both kind of heard, uh, heard the, the ice crack, felt the ice crack, and they went in into, the, into the, really the frozen waters. Four-wheeler plummets down to the bottom of the lake. They're fighting and scratching to, to get out, and they can't really get out. <clears throat> and after a couple of minutes, and it doesn't take long, but after a couple of minutes in that water, they just kind of look at each other, and they know, they kind of realize they're, they're about to die right in, the, in, in those waters. I want you to tuck that little part of that story away. Hold on to that. We're going to get back to that uh, here in a few minutes. Today we're finishing up a two-part series, a little, little two-part series called Battle Plan, where we're trying to speak to men and women with men in their lives, but speak to men about becoming the, the, the man that God has intended for us to be. And I want you to know that, that really last week and this week, it is geared towards men. It's geared towards men being, being a, a godly man, being the man that God intends for us to be, but it is also... For women, if you're married, I want to encourage you to encourage your man to be the man that God intends for him to be. If you are a teenager, I, I hopefully last week and this week we're going to give you a bit of an image of, uh, of, of what you need to be looking for in a man as you grow and as you mature and then at some point uh, when, you're, when you're out there uh, trying to find a man. And, and if you have a little kid, if you got a three-year-old little boy, and you're a mama or a daddy, I want to encourage you to encourage this, this child that God has entrusted you with in how to be a man. I said this a little while ago, that whatever this book says about being a man, the world is going to say 180 degrees the opposite. Listen to the book. Listen to the book. So that's kind of where we're going uh, Today and we t Richard talked about wolves last week, and he he talked a little bit about acting like how man a man needs to act like a wolf, and so I get in the in the Bible this week and I'm searching the act. Just sounds weird, but I search for the word wolf or wolves uh, in in, uh, in some software, some Bible software that I have, and I find a couple of places where that word is used, and I found a, 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 a in a, in the book of Habakkuk, an Old Testament prophet. Another kind of wolf is mentioned. It's in, in chapter 1, kind of right at the beginning, verse 6, 7, and 8. And Habakkuk <coughs> is describing the Babylonian army in, the, in these three verses. And, he's just, and they were bad to the bone, the Babylonian army. He talks about how, how dreaded they are and how fearsome they are. And then in verse 8, he says this. He says their horses, and he's talking about this, the Babylonian army. 
He says, their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than evening wolves. He he uses the term evening wolves. Charles Spurgeon said of these wolves that they come against you uh, at night. The attack, the, the assault that comes after, particularly men when the sun goes down. He said, darkness is their element and deceit is their character and really destruction is their end game. You do know that you have an adversary, man, that is trying to destroy you. And I am convinced that, <clears throat> that he, the adversary, that he doesn't take a lot of time off during the day. But beyond a doubt, he ramps it up when the sun goes down in the wee hours of the night. And there is something about 2 a.m., 3 a.m. that it just seems worse. Things just, like, get darker. They seem darker. And guys... You've got to fight against the evening wolves that come our way. Because here's what happens. You're laying in the bed, and you're, you're just laying there. Two o'clock in the morning, you're staring at the ceiling. And worry, these things just start racing through your mind. What about this, and what about that? And the anxiety that can often accompany worry. And it feels like you just can't turn it off. Your mind is just going bananas racing and racing and it's two o'clock in the morning and the house is quiet and your wife is asleep and you're just staring at the ceiling and your brain won't turn off and so you have this battle that has taken place as you're laying there in your bed Richard touched on this last week as well in the book of Romans Paul wrote in verse 2 of chapter 12 he said do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that worry that, uh, that anxiety, it is a spiritual battle for your mind. And the Lord says be transformed, be metamorphed by the renewal of your mind. And here's where we're at when we're dealing uh, with these evening wolves. And it's a problem. And it is a problem that we have got to face head on. This is, what, this, is this war that is being waged within, within us. And we know full well that the enemy is behind it. And that's why it is essential for us, listen to me now, that you do not merely act like a wolf. You don't merely speak like a wolf. You don't think like a wolf. But y'all, we have got to fight. I mean fight. We have got to fight like a wolf because we have an adversary. You have an adversary. I have an adversary that is fighting against us. He's fighting against you. He's fighting against me. And as much as God is for us, the devil is opposing us, and he wants to take you out. That is what his goal is, is to take us out. He is a thief, and he comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. God's got great plans for your life, and the devil doesn't want to see any of that come to pass. He doesn't want you to reach. He doesn't want you to dream. He doesn't want you to build. He's a murderer. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. And he wants to take you out and keep you from everything that the Lord has for you. He has declared war on us. Y'all realize that? He has declared war on us. And it's time that we declare war back on him. And amens and yeses are okay. I I never say that, but it's okay to hoot and holler a little bit. We're going to howl before this thing is over today. If we can change our mentality, if we can change our worldview just a little bit, if we can change our mindset just a little bit, then that's a game changer. Little shift in the way that we look at things. 
We are at war, and we've got to live like that as well. We've got to fight like a wolf. Look at uh, verse, uh, chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians, uh, starting in verse 3. Here's what Paul wrote. He says, For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive, we grab, we capture every thought to make it obedient to Christ. It says that I do live in the world, and I do. All of us live in the world, but we don't fight like the people in the world fight. My weapons aren't the weapons that the world uses. In fact, it's just the opposite of what the world uses. My weapons, look at this now, my weapons, I have, if I'm a believer, if I'm indwelt with the Holy Spirit, I have the power of God to destroy the camps, the encampments, the strongholds of the enemy. And I destroy every claim and every reason that keeps people from knowing God. This text says I keep every thought under control in order to make it obedient to Christ. And I want to give you all this morning a couple of principles that I think are essential if, we are gonna, if we're going to fight like the wolves that God uh, intends for us to be, if we're going to fight like the wolves that we're born to be. Because wolves, they got a rough life. Wolves, it's tough. You know, the number one killer of wolf pups, the number one killer is starvation. The number one killer, do you know, buffalo, wolves die from getting kicked in the head by buffalo. But the number one killer of adult wolves is other wolves. And these other wolves that come against us, we have to have this fight in our spirit to know that when they come, when these evening wolves roll around at 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. in the morning, where there's anxious thoughts and there's fearful thoughts and there may be thoughts of self-harm and whatever else that the enemy is going to throw in your head. And it may be different and probably is. It's, it's wherever we're vulnerable, right? Wherever we're vulnerable, he's going to throw something at us. And you're laying in the bed and you're staring at the ceiling. And I noticed last night I have a crack in my ceiling from staring at it last night. But you're laying there and you're thinking, it's just not going to work out. You know, I, I'm a scumbag. I'm terrible. They'd be better off without me. I'm getting anxious. Nobody cares anything about me. And you have to realize these wolves as the wolves that they are. And that the number one principle in fighting like a wolf is this. You have got to control the high ground. Me and you have got to control the high ground. In this text, Paul talks about the enemy's strongholds, which is always in battle time, it's high ground that he's talking about. In, in a real battle, you're talking, people, armies have to control the high ground. Whoever controls the high ground controls the battlefield. Snipers are looking for elevated positions, right? The enemy that has an elevated position can shoot down on you. You have to come up to them. And you think about somebody attacking somebody up a hill. It's tough to attack from the bottom of the hill. And so you think about the fact of the high ground. And there is a fight for the high ground in our lives. The Bible uses the heart and emotions and the mind almost interchangeably. These areas are the theater of war that I'm talking about. 
and the high ground, it's critical for us to control it and we can control, begin to control the outcome of our life, the outcome of our story. So what are the components of this? And there's probably a bunch, and we could speak about a ton of different, uh, honestly, a ton of different addictions, and it could be addiction <coughs> to, to, uh, to alcohol, or it could be addictions to drugs, or it could be addictions to pornography, or it could be addictions to, to Xbox, or it could be whatever it is, whatever habits that just mindlessly almost take over, and we do these things, we don't even think about it. They just kind of, they just almost become uh, ingrained in us, and our reflex when something comes on us is just to turn to that, whatever, whatever that is. And we have got to choose. We have a chooser, and we have got to choose when it's hard to say, I do the hard things, and I choose to do the right things, even when I don't feel right. I got to choose to do this or that despite the way I feel. Guys, sometimes we don't feel like getting up in the morning and getting out of the bed, but we have to choose to do despite the way that we feel. Sometimes we got to do things and it flies right in the face of the way that we feel. It is important. It is critically important. You're controlling the high ground when you do that, and you're not giving the enemy, our enemy, a fortified position. And you may think this is going to be so trivial, kind of, and you may think that I'm crazy. But even little things like sleep are important. Even little things like hydration is important to the high ground in our life. And what you start your day and end your day with, it's important. Write this down. 888. Should be on the screen. 888. What does that mean? Well, what if... What if you got eight hours of sleep on average a night? And I know some nights you're going to get four, get nine the next day. What if your goal was eight uninterrupted hours of sleep at night? What if your goal was eight glasses of water a day? What if your goal was I'm going to drink eight glasses of water? It would be better than two Cokes and six cups of coffee. And so what if we got eight hours of sleep? What if we got, got up and we drank eight cups of water during the day? And what if the first and last eight minutes of every day was spent with Jesus? Eight minutes with Jesus. Would you even recognize the you that you would become? And I mean, so think about it. Think about how dysfunctional we become through a lack of sleep. Think about dehydration and how straight to social media and you're scrolling through Instagram and you're scrolling through Facebook in the morning. Think about what, what that does. And then at the, at the end of the day, you end your night watching The Walking Dead and then you say, I can't sleep. Well, you just saw somebody eat somebody's face off and then you say, I can't sleep. Well, obviously you can't sleep. <laughs> I'm not saying that you need to watch Little House on the Prairie all day long either. I'm just saying guard the first and last. Write that down. Guard the first and last. What if you said, I'm giving eight minutes to Jesus? One worship song, a couple of minutes of prayer, and a few minutes in a verse. What if you did that to start your day, and what if you did that to end your day? If you were drinking more water, if you were getting more sleep, if you were in the Word a little bit in the morning and a little bit in the evening, I'm telling you, some of the symptoms, 
I'm so depressed. I'm so anxious. I'm so stressed out. I worry all the time. It's just part of that is I'm just not really doing the things that I'm called to do. And God is there with His arm around you every step of that way. And some of us are sitting in here this morning. We're praying through a, for a breakthrough. We're praying for an intervention. We're praying uh, for healing. And God's like, yeah, the water's right over there. And your pillow is right over there. Why don't you turn the Xbox off and go to bed? Why don't you charge your phone in another room? I guarantee, I don't get, I would bet you every person in this room charges their phone on their night table six inches from their ear. If you do that, raise your hand. I do it. I ain't going to do it tonight. I'm going to put it in another room tonight. It's just these little, these little, like, tweaks that you can do, tactical little tweaks that can make the difference between living and dying on the battlefield. 888, control the high ground. These are just little ways that the enemy can get a foothold in our life. And whenever he gets a foothold, it's because he wants to get a stronghold. That is his M.O. That has been his M.O. since Genesis 3.15. Since in the garden, that has been what he does. And he tells you it's just this and it's just that and it's always for this and that. He's going to take you further than you ever want to go and he's going to keep you longer than you ever intended to stay and he will never, ever, ever give you back anything that he's told you and said he's going to give you back. He does. He's a liar, y'all. He's a liar. And he doesn't play checkers. He plays chess. He wants to, men, he wants to slit your throat and gut you. That is what he wants to do. He's not your friend, he's not on your side, and he doesn't play by the rules. He doesn't. And any time you say to him, but you said, it doesn't matter. He loves to say to us, laying in the bed, just one more time. Just, it's okay, God really didn't say not to do this or that. Just do it one more time, you'll be in, you're okay, you got control over it. I could quit any time I want. That's what, that's what he wants us to say to ourselves. I'm still in control, that's what he wants you to think, and meanwhile, he's stealing your peace, he's stealing your joy, and he's holding you back from being the man that God wants you to be. And it ticks me off so bad. I want so much for you what God wants for you. And I want you to be mad about it. You ought to be mad about it. I want me and you to be filled with rage at the thought of what the devil wants to take from us. And why he sends these evening wolves howling our way. Can y'all, does that, am I the only one that lays in the bed and that stuff happens to? It, it happens. Pray for your children. Pray for your wives. Get, get on the, get on the floor by your children's bed and you pray Jesus over their lives. You beg God to do mighty things in their lives. You beg God to protect your children, to protect your wife. You speak life over them. You model for them what you want to see emulated by them. And don't pray for things for them that you're not willing to fight for yourself. You're nothing but a hypocrite if you do that. Believe it and then seek by God's grace to live it. Control the high ground. Starve the fears that are inside of us and feed your faith. Anything that causes us to fear. I don't know if it's the news that causes... Turn the news off. Turn it off. 
I don't care if it's CNN or Fox or CNBC. I don't care. It's all a bunch of junk. Turn it off if that causes you to fear. Whatever it is, if it's Facebook and you see everybody else's life is just so wonderful on Facebook, turn it off. If it's Instagram, turn it off. I mean, whatever it is, whatever it is, if it's seeing what your friends did on last Friday night and yada, 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 turn it off and starve it. Control the high ground in your life by starving that fear and feeding your faith. Get in the Word. Get in the Word. Get on your knees and pray. Memorize some Scripture. I'm not talking about memorize the whole book of Mark. Memorize a little bit of Scripture. Write these three down. They're up on the screen. Romans 12, 2. Be t- the battle is in our minds. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed by that. Romans 12, 2. Read, memorize James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That's a tough passage, but it's black and white. If you're not getting attacked, you're doing something wrong. And, and James says, consider it joy. Memorize Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. Does that say be anxious about a few things? No. It says do not be anxious about anything. That is what the Scripture tells us. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving... With thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then what does he say? What does he guarantee us? In that, in verse 7, what does he guarantee us? And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Will guard, if we're on our knees, if you're on your knees by your child's bed, if you are on your knees by the bed in front of your wife, praying while she sleeps, she, Susan don't even know I do that. She'd probably creep her out if she opened her eyes. I don't know. But she doesn't even know that's happening. And what does God say He's going to do with that? I will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then you know what happens at 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, when that evening wolf comes along, you know what happens? You shank him. You shank the devil with those words. Y'all know what a shank is? I almost made one to show you, but then I thought that would be creepy. You shank him with those words. Sometimes you might be lying there in the bed at night and, and it's like, hold on, shank. And you're laying there and I'm worrying. Shank. That's what you do. You shank him. You pray and you shank him in the name of Jesus right over that situation. Right then and there in that moment, you shank the devil. You probably never thought you'd hear shank the devil in, in, a, in a church service. But that is what, it's a fight, y'all, because he wants to slit your throat. It is a fight. So you control, you control the high ground, number one. Number two is this. You raise your voice. We've all been told, every man in this room, women too, but every man in this room have been told our whole lives to be quiet. You go to school from the time you're in kindergarten to the time you graduate high school and you're supposed to go be quiet for eight or nine hours. That's what you're told. I'm telling you, throw that junk in the trash and raise your voice. Lift Lift your head up and howl. And here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you are in the greatest battle, when you are in the, in the thickest battle of your life. Your voice is so much more powerful than the devil ever wants you to think it is. Look, man, before Jesus went into his greatest battle, which was in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
And you're like, wait a minute, I thought the cross, Calvary, no, I don't, I don't think so. The pregame was where he accepted his mission. Richard talked about the pregame a little bit last week. The pregame was where he suited up in the locker room and was willing to walk out onto that field in the bright lights. It was Gethsemane in the garden where he sweated blood. It was Gethsemane in the garden where he was on his face, on his knees before the Father, praying that his will be done. At Calvary, he was really at peace because he had got himself right in that garden. Because here's, here's the deal, guys. You cannot rise up and fight like a wolf if you never bow down like a lamb. Write that down. Take a picture of that. You, can, you, never, you can never rise up and fight like a wolf if you're never on your face before the Father like a lamb praying. And Jesus, in the garden, he got on his face. And so here's what's amazing. In between the Last Supper, because that's what was happening, that was this scene. In between the Last Supper, him having the Passover meal with his guys, and going into the garden at Gethsemane, which is at the Mount of Olives, he did something I never noticed before. And it said, I never noticed it. Matthew, Matthew chapter 26, verse 30. And here's what it says. Now, the last, the last Supper's over. It's over. They're done eating. Here's what it says. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, hold on. I never noticed that. Last Supper's over. They're headed out to the Mount of Olives. Does Jesus say, come on, come on, come on, come on. We got to go, we got to go, we got to go. No. He says, let's sing King of My Heart. He says, let's sing some Hillsong. Let's sing some Bethel. That's what he says. Let's sing a hymn. And then they went to the Mount of Olives. This is so powerful because if Jesus himself knew that before the greatest battle of his life, that he needed some time to prepare himself by singing, how much more to, do we need that? He understood what we ought to know, what we need to know, that worship is a weapon against darkness. It is a total weapon against darkness. I wish so bad I could sing. I cannot sing a lick. Now, sing in the shower. That's an image that you can't get out of your mind. But I, can't, but I sing in the shower. I don't, it, there's something about it. And it's not just a shank. It's the whole war. Now, listen to me carefully when I say it's the whole war. It's a war of what you're going to honor the most. What are you seeking after? What is the master passion of your life? Is it you? Is it your fame? Anxiety? And choosing to live there? Worry? And choosing to live there? Giving in to depression? And living there? And I'm not saying that depression, anxiety, and worry are not real. Some of us, part of our story is clinical depression. I get, I get that. And anxiety. Some of us are going to need medication. Some of us are going to need uh, counseling. I'm not saying any of that is not true. But still, in the midst of it, we've got to choose who or what we're going to worship. Who or what is going to be at the center of the glory of our story. And what we need to do is what Jesus did, facing a battle. We lift our voices up and we howl out in praise. We lift our voices up and we praise Him. There is, just think about 20 minutes ago, and we, we, we worship musically through three songs. The, what, the way that makes you feel, 
the way, just the way you just want to raise your hands up, just the way that it makes you feel. Now, worship is more than singing. There's a lot of aspect, aspects to it. it. Giving is worship. Praying is worship. Obeying the Lord is worship. Bible study is worship. Getting in the Word is All of that is worship, but it's never less than singing. Here's what I mean by that. Every time we see a picture of worship, it involves singing. It involves this idea. Maybe because there's just something that shifts. I don't understand it. There's something that shifts inside of us. There's some, it alters our mood a little bit. You ever need your mood altered? You know, it's going to be weird. Tonight we're going to be laying in the bed at 2 a.m. I'm staring at the ceiling. I'm just going to break out singing or something. There's just something that happens when we do that. And so it is important that we raise our voice, but not just to God, also to His people. And that means sometimes you pick the phone up, men, and you call somebody and you say, I'm hurting, I'm, I'm scared, I'm stressing out, I'm worried, I'm alone, I'm thinking about doing something really bad and I need help, I need encouragement. Talk to somebody. And if you have a somebody in your life that you're worried about, reach out to them. Don't just pray for them. Pray for them, of course, but don't just pray for them. Shoot them a text, say, I'm thinking about you. I had not seen you in a few days. I'm worried about you. What's going on? Pick the phone up and call them. If you see something, you've got to say something. You've got to raise your voice up. You know, we're, we're Thursday. This Thursday is the first um, Trailblazers men's ministry. We're starting a, a study called 33 the Series to give us all an image of the godliest, most authentic man that ever walked the planet. It's called 33 the Series. We're going to study the life of Christ. For six or seven weeks, starting this Thursday at 6.30 here. Y'all come. Men, we need to lock arms with each other. We don't need to be living isolated from each other. So lastly, we're almost done. Lastly, you've got to keep showing up. You've got to keep showing up. Day after day. Keep showing up. One of my favorite stories is about a company. The company's name is Leatherman. Leatherman. And it's a simple pocket knife that folds out and they have pliers in it. And you can buy all kind of different configurations of it. Well, they didn't exist until they did exist. That was really intelligent. They didn't exist until they did exist. And a man named Tim Leatherman was on a budget trip right after he graduated from college with his wife to Europe. They didn't hardly have any money. They bought a car over there for 300 bucks so they'd have a way to get around. And shocker, surprise, it, it broke down all the time. And he had in one pocket a... Uh, a Boy Scout knife and another pocket a pair of pliers, and that was what was always he was messing with it, trying to fix it and getting it to run with a pocket knife and the uh, and the pair of pliers. And he thought to himself, if I only had those two things in one tool, that would be an amazing thing because it would free up one of my hands. So he writes down on a piece of paper things to do in life: make a pocket knife with a pair of pliers in it. When they get back to the states, he does that. He decides to do that. Easier said than done. Two years into him doing that. He broke down weeping because on his birthday, actually, because he couldn't get it engineered right. He couldn't get it to work the way that it needed to work. But here's what he said. The next morning, he said, I got up and I showed up and I kept going. In the third year, it's three years in now. He's 25 years old. Three years in, the patent gets issues for what we know now as a Leatherman. And now we'd say, well, they all lived happily ever after. Um, I don't think so. That's not how it went. It's not. Even though he had successfully built one of those things uh, and gotten it pat patented for one, two, three, four, five years, he couldn't get anybody to buy one. Five years, 28 years old. 
now. Is that right? Three, uh, five is eight. No, he's 30 years old now. Knife people said it's a tool. Tool people said it's a knife. Total, complete rejection from this guy. The company Stanley wrote him a letter and said, nobody in their right mind would ever buy this thing that you're talking about making. And so he was distraught. Back up a year, year seven, he said, I almost gave up, but a friend of his, a guy that he went to college with, showed up and said, my dad's got a metal fabricating little plant, and I bet we can build these things here. And he encouraged him. He said, I'll, I'll locked arms with him, and he said, I'll, I'll help you, and we'll try to make these things. About a year later, Cabela's. Y'all heard of Cabela's? Cabela's bought 500 of those things, and the rest really is history. The company now is in Portland, Oregon. They, they employ four or 500 people, and I bet a bunch of y'all men have a Leatherman in your pocket. If not, I bet you got one laying by your, by your bed on your night table. And so you think about what it took for that joker to keep showing up for the eight years that he was being told by experts it ain't going to work. And that war and that doubt, and he's sitting alone in his garage on his birthday crying his eyeballs out, wanting to give up, wanting to quit. Can y'all relate to ever wanting to quit? I can. Winston Churchill one time said this, success consists, consists of going from failure to failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. And so I wonder, where are you on that journey? Where am I on that journey? What is it that you're thinking about quitting? What do you think about giving up? What dream are you beginning to lose faith in? Because what I'm saying to y'all is this. If what a fight looks like, it's not just one round and it's over. It's not just, well, there I fought. I tried to control my thoughts. I tried to speak differently. I tried to plant a church. I tried to be a pastor. I tried to start a business. I tried to be a real estate agent. I tried to be a firefighter. I tried to work on my marriage. That's not a fight, y'all. That's not a fight. You don't try stuff. You do stuff. You don't try. A fight is bloody round after bloody round. A fight is getting knocked down a hundred times and getting back up. A fight is reaching over and spitting your tooth in the sink. Y'all, that's a fight. A fight is going from failure to... Nobody promises that we won't fail. It's going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. And I just want to speak life over every man in this room's tomorrow. I want to speak life over you that God loves you and He wants to do more through you than you have any earthly idea of. And, and you know what? You got to fight. And He is not going to do for you what you can do for yourself. He is going to have His arm around you. He's going to be hugging on you the whole time. But He is not going to do for us what we can do for ourselves. What about Larry and Chrissy? We left him drowning in the frozen waters of this lake in Minnesota. And Larry turns and he kisses his wife goodbye because they're like, it's the moment. He's like, we are dying. And in that moment, just before beginning to sink, he reaches down in his pocket. That's a Leatherman, y'all. Had it in his pocket. He reaches up and he stabs the pliers down into the ice. And he pulls himself up. And then he reaches around and he pulls his wife out of the water. Here's what I want to leave y'all with. Yeah, you're fighting a bloody, difficult battle, and you're trying to win the war within, but you're not the only one. You're not the only one. There are men around you in your family. There's men sitting next to you right now, and they're all trying to win. People, you don't even know their names yet. And if you give up, if you give up, how's God going to use you? If you give up, 
If you're dead, how's God going to use you? Tim Leatherman didn't know in the garage, six years in, crying, crying because he couldn't get anything done with his Leatherman. He didn't know about Chrissy and Larry. He didn't have the vaguest idea. God did. God knew that 25 years later that some dude on a four-wheeler in Minnesota's life was going to be saved because of this plier thing. And I want to speak to us that as we fight this good fight and as we keep living, it is not just for yourself. You don't know that a battle that you win today is going to lead to your great-great-grandchildren's landing at the foot of the cross and being saved. None of us had the vaguest idea. We're called to show up and fight and keep on going and don't quit. And, and, and we're, we're called to shank the evening wolves. And if you're, here, if you're here today, and as we have this moment of prayer, and you would say that I, that I commit to fighting this battle. I commit to fighting the battle. I want to begin fighting. I've thought about giving up, maybe quitting a job that's hard. Maybe Who said the job's going to be easy? Who, who, do you read that somewhere in here? No, nobody said that the, this whole life thing is easy. So I'm thinking about quitting the job that's hard. I'm thinking about leaving a marriage that's difficult. Who said marriage is easy? It ain't easy. we got to work, men. Be a man. Nobody said it's easy. I'm thinking about doing that. I'm thinking of, Maybe you're thinking about ending your life standing here this morning. I don't know. If you would say, though, in this moment that I want to fight, I want you to raise your hand and say, fight. I want to fight. I want to fight. None of you other men want to fight. I want to fight. I would say this. Look, I would say how. I can't believe I'm getting ready to do this. I just, oh, I'm howling like a wolf. Because I'm telling you tonight, when I'm laying in the bed, and that evening wolf, nothing in this book says the evening wolf's not coming. He says he is coming. That devil wants to slit your throat and gut you. And you know what he's going to get from me? Shanked. Shank the devil. Take the, put that on Instagram. Shank the devil. Here's what I tell you. The tools that Paul says we have in 2 Corinthians, the tools that we have to do what? To demolish the strongholds of the enemy. That's what Paul says. You don't have those tools. You're not imputed with those tools if you don't have a relationship with the Lord. You, you don't. You don't. He promises those tools to those of us that have gotten on our knees, bowed the knee, and said yes. It's not a big complicated formula. And so here's what I'm telling you this morning. If you haven't said yes to Him, you repent and you believe. Repent. Turn from your sin. You're not going to be sinless. Turn from the sin. That's a battle. Turn from the sin. Believe that that death on that cross bought you back from that. That that death redeemed you. Look, that is all it is. And if that happened to you right now, if that happened to you right, y'all pray with me. Lord, we love you this morning. Lord, we love that you are a God that shows us how to fight. You're a God that wants for us to fight for our family, for our children. Lord, you tell us that you give us your power through your Holy Spirit to destroy the strongholds of the enemy. 
but you have to live inside of us for that to happen. So Lord, I pray over, I pray life over these men that are in here today. Those that knew you when they walked in, particularly those that didn't know you when they walked in. Lord, I pray that they will fight the devil and protect their families in Jesus' name. Amen. And here I want to tell you one last thing. If, if that happened to you today, that you walked in here and you didn't know him, and as we sit right now that you do know him, that little connection card that is in the, in the seat back in front of you, just let us know. Write your name, write your contact information on there, and let us know that you made Jesus the leader and forgiver of your life today. I'm not tackling you in the parking lot. I ain't that big. So that's not going to happen. We just want to pray with you and lock arms with you and walk life with you. That's all we want. But we need to know that that happened. Thank you all.